Let's turn in scripture now to the Gospel of John. John chapter 12. We'll begin reading at verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to, to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to hear to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, And asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So far, our scripture reading. Let's respond by singing from Psalm 118, stanza 6, 25 through 36. Let's read those words now. The Lord Jesus is continuing to speak here. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. 
The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. After the sermon, we'll respond again with words from Psalm 118, singing stanzas 7 and 8. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the Gospels we read of three instances in the life of the Lord Jesus in which a voice came from heaven to approve of the person and the work of Christ. The first time was when Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan by John the Baptist. After he came up out of the water, John saw the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove descending upon the Lord Jesus. And the Father confirmed Jesus' ministry then by announcing, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. You can read about that in Matthew chapter 3 and Luke chapter 3. The second time such a voice was heard when was when Jesus was transfigured before three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. (coughs) You can read about that in Matthew 17 and Luke chapter 9. And again, the disciples heard very familiar or very similar words. The Father said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So in both of these instances, the Father approved of and confirmed the ministry of Christ. And here in John 12, we read about a third time in the Gospels that the Father is commending his Son in this way. In John chapter 12, this happened while Jesus was, in the days that Jesus was leading up to his death and crucifixion. There were some Greeks who had come to the temple to worship at the Feast of Passover in Jerusalem, and they wanted to see the Lord Jesus. We're not told exactly why or what they expected, but now they wanted to see Jesus for themselves. And notice that the Lord Jesus gives a rather cryptic response. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And then he follows this up with an explanation and an illustration. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, we understand that the Lord Jesus was speaking about his own death. And in giving this answer to these Greeks, Jesus was making a deliberate choice. He recognized that obedience to his Father in heaven meant that he would soon be facing a unwelcome, a difficult death. And his answer shows that he chose this way of suffering 
in spite of how difficult that way was. He chose this way of suffering instead of the way of personal glory. And we can say that though, even, even though we read that Christ spoke of his death resulting in the glory of the Son of Man. You see, Christ was not seeking his own glory, but he sought to glorify the Father. That was his purpose and goal, to glorify the Father. He lived to obey his Father in heaven. He lived for the glory of his Father, to obey him, to honor him. His life was in tune with the will of his Father in heaven. And Jesus recognized that his death would bring glory to his Father. His glory would not come through international fame, for example. His glory would not come from performing miracles and signs for the benefits of the spectators. But his glory would come by the way of the cross. It is in the cross that the glory of God would be revealed. And it is in the purpose of Christ's death. Right? That's... That's the purpose of Christ's death, that the glory of God would be revealed. And that's what the Lord Jesus wanted. And so he refused to be saved from the hour of his death. But he said, for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And so our text shows us that the glory of God then is revealed in the death and the resurrection of Christ. That's how Christ reveals the purpose of his coming. And we'll see three things, that God's glory is revealed in judgment and in victory and in the gathering of his people. So immediately after Jesus' prayer, there is a voice heard from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And again, we who know the rest of scripture, we understand this is a refer- reference to the humiliation that Christ suffered on the cross, but also to his resurrection and the exaltation of Christ, his ascension into heaven. And in this message, then, the Father assures the Son of his purposes through him and through his work. And this, of course, must have greatly encouraged and strengthened the Lord Jesus. The crowd, however, did not understand. We have... There's no indication in the text that anyone other than Jesus understood these words. Some said it thundered. Perhaps they weren't even willing to admit that there was a connection between this voice and and Jesus' prayer. Others said that perhaps an angel had spoken to him. But Jesus says then, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. And of course we have to ask, well, if it was for the benefit of the people, then why did they not understand what was being said? Well, one thing is certain, they heard this reply, they heard this voice from heaven. And even though they didn't understand, they cannot mistake the fact that this happened in direct response to Jesus' prayer. God's message was an answer to Jesus' prayer, but at the same time a clear signal to the crowd. This voice from heaven was a sign that Jesus had direct access to the Father in heaven, that he stands in intimate relationship to God. So this was a a public attestation concerning the person and work of Jesus. And Jesus explains this in the following verses. Verse 31, Now is the judgment of this world. You might wonder, why did he say the word now? Why did he use that word? 
Well, that's because, congregation, the presence and the person of Jesus Christ is, is a watershed moment for everyone who meets him. Jesus says the world is ripe for judgment and everyone is being put on notice. If God is going to glorify his name in Jesus' death and resurrection, then you and I and everyone else are being confronted with a fundamental choice. And this moment comes not at the end of world history, but it comes now, whenever we are confronted with the person and work of Jesus Christ. The day of judgment comes when we hear the gospel proclaimed. Already earlier in his ministry, Jesus declared, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Whoever hears my word and believes has passed from death to life. In other words, those who trust Jesus to reconcile them to God will not come into judgment. Because they have already passed from the condemned state of death into the justified state of eternal life. Through faith in Christ, their judgment has already happened. And this is confirmed in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the dividing line. That's the dividing line between those who are condemned and those who are vindicated. If you trust in this Jesus who was raised from the dead, you are united to him. And as you are united to him, his death is your death. Galatians 2 verse 20. And his condemnation is your condemnation. Romans 8 verse 3. But his resurrection is also your resurrection to a new life. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. On the other hand, it is also true that if you do not believe in the resurrected Christ, if you do not trust in him, you will stand condemned because of your sin, because of your rejection of the offer of forgiveness. So the significance of Christ's death and resurrection will mean the judgment of the world. And so Jesus is saying here that the world will condemn itself by its treatment of him. And today this is as true as ever. Earlier in his gospel, chapter 3, John writes, Whoever believes is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And so God glorifies himself by bringing the final judgment for sin into the history of the world so that his son can bear the sentence of condemnation for everyone who believes. And this is in part what the angels sang about already above the fields of Bethlehem when Christ was born. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom God is well pleased. Glory to God. Peace to men and women and boys and girls everywhere who believe in Jesus Christ. Peace to those who pass from death to life. Peace to those who never come into judgment. And it's important then for all of us today too to understand the significance of Christ's words. Because it's, it's so easy for people not to hear. 
Right? We read the Bible, perhaps, but we don't really hear it. Or we listen to the preaching and maybe it just sounds like noise in your ears. Are we truly listening to God's word? And so what the Lord Jesus is saying here then is a call to each and every one of us too to examine ourselves, whether we are in the faith, whether we trust in this Christ who died and was raised again. And that brings us to the next point. God's glory is also revealed in victory over Satan. Jesus continued speaking to the crowd saying, Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Jesus uses that expression elsewhere in the Gospel of John as well. He's referring, of course, to Satan, who is also called the prince of this world. But what does Jesus mean? Because we know that Satan remains active in this world. We're told in Scripture that we ought to protect ourselves against him. Ephesians 6, for example, we are to put on the armor of God to protect ourselves against the the spiritual forces in this world. And the Apostle Peter says that Satan is like a roaring lion going around seeking whom he may devour. So in what sense then is he cast out? Well, in John 14, verse 30 and 31, Jesus says, The ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me. Well, we know that Satan continually tried to keep God from fulfilling his promises in Jesus Christ. He, he tried to prevent the Messiah from coming into this world. And when he did appear, he tried to eliminate him. He wanted to be the ruler of this world. But in the cross of Jesus Christ, Satan met his doom. It might have seemed to him that his victory was sure because the Son of God was, was being killed and condemned for the sins of the world. But in the condemnation of Christ, Satan lost his dominion. And these words then are also echoed in the last words of Christ on the cross when he died. He said, it is finished. His victory was complete. And so Jesus can also say to us, greater is he that is in you, that is the Holy Spirit, than he that is in the world. The power of the evil one has been broken. He is not stronger than Christ. And the world is not stronger than Christ. And false religions are not stronger than Christ. Only Christ leads to peace with God. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Satan failed to destroy God's plan of salvation. He failed to defeat Christ. He failed to to thwart Christ's resurrection. And in failing, he himself was judged and decisively defeated. And he can never change that. Elsewhere in the Gospel of John, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is coming to convict the world concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. His final judgment is still coming. But in his death and resurrection, Jesus secured the judgment that guarantees Satan's final defeat. And that's because Jesus did not give in. Yes, his soul was troubled. He said, now is my soul troubled. He feared the cross. 
becomes very evident in the Garden of Gethsemane. But he kept entrusting himself to God. He did not quit. He did not disobey the Lord. And he relied on the faithfulness of his Father in heaven. And so he bore our sin. And so in that way then he stripped Satan of the one weapon that Satan could use to damn us, namely the valid accusation of our unforgiven sin. That weapon has been taken away from him. He is disarmed. He can no longer accuse us. Because in Christ we have, you have no unforgiven sins. In Christ you have no unforgiven sins. His blood covers all of it. And so the cross was the decisive defeat of the devil, and he cannot succeed. The victory is ours through faith in Christ. That's why John writes in Revelation 12 that the saints have conquered Satan by the blood of the Lamb. And so the case has been settled. Our judgment is passed. Satan has been cast out of the courtroom. He no longer has a record of our sins. He can't use that against us because we have our advocate in heaven who speaks to the Father on our behalf. Satan has no say in your future. In Christ, we have passed from death to life. And so God glorified himself by defeating that ancient adversary at the very moment when Satan thought he could win. That brings us to the third point. The glory of God is also revealed in the gathering of his people. In verse 32, Jesus says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And this means two things. In the first place, it means that the good news is no longer only for the Jews. In the Old Testament, the promises of the gospel were given to God's covenant people. And many Jews believe that that the Jewish Messiah would be for them alone. And some of them believed that that was Jesus, that he would bring in the kingdom of David again and Solomon and defeat the hated Romans and drive them out. But what does Jesus say? He's saying, in a few days from now, I am going to the cross. And when I go to the cross, I am going to deal with sin once and for all. I will bear the wrath and judgment of God for the sin of mankind. I will drive out the ruler of this world. In congregation, that's why the word of God went from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and and to the ends of the world because of the effective power of the cross. And it's important to understand that the effective power of the cross will draw God's children to him. In the original Greek The word people is not used. It simply says, I will draw all to myself. And the same phrase is used in John 6, where Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, pulls him to himself. So it tells us then that Jesus' death and atoning sacrifice is effective in drawing God's chosen ones to himself. It's it's a real effective drawing. It's not an attempt that fails. It is successful in bringing to Christ those for whom Christ died. And Christ 
says elsewhere what he will do for his sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. In other words, his death has a certain effect on his sheep. They come to him. When they, when they hear his voice, they come to him, all of them. And in this way, too, God multiplies glory to himself through the death of his son. He glorifies himself in the death and the resurrection of Christ. He makes salvation available to all so that whoever believes in Jesus Christ will not, have, will not perish, but have eternal life. But he also glorifies himself by securing with absolute certainty the ingathering of all those who have been appointed to eternal life. You know, if you and I had been standing at the foot of the cross, it would have seemed as if Satan had won, as if he had vanquished the Son of God. But in the moment of his apparent triumph, Satan was really vanquished. The defeat of the evil one and the drawing of God's children to himself, congregation, then is the direct result of this event in redemptive history. The atoning sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see evidence of that today all over the world. The Spirit of God is moving and people of all kinds of languages and ethnicities and nationalities are coming to Christ through the preaching of the gospel in many places in the world, the church is growing and continues to grow because he is drawing them to himself. And sometimes perhaps we, we may feel defeated because we live in a country that is what well, was once much more favorably disposed toward Christianity than it is today. In many ways, our culture has embraced godlessness Many people have turned their backs on the Lord Jesus Christ and, and evil is promoted and, and good is being repressed and discouraged. But that means that as Church of Christ we have a responsibility, congregation, to declare the love of God, to speak about the hope that we have within us, the purpose that's found in Him. Life is not a dead-end street. There is hope in Christ. And there is a way to fulfillment in life. And yes, there is forgiveness. And yes, we all make a horrible mess of our lives, but that is not the end of the story. Not in Christ. Jesus says, when I am lifted up, I will draw them to myself. And that is the wonder of the gospel, isn't it? That is the miracle of grace. I do not draw myself to Christ, but he draws me to him. Reminds me of the words of a well-known hymn. I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he has made known, nor why unworthy Christ in love redeemed me for his own. I know, I know not how the Spirit moves, convincing men of sin, revealing Jesus through the word, creating faith in him. He creates a drawing in us, within our hearts. He draws us to himself. And when we read about this, these words of Jesus, we, read, we understand he is confirming that all who will be saved will be saved by this means. This is the fulfillment of what John writes in, 
In chapter 1, verse 10, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. There you have it again. He is the one who draws us to himself. And in this way, too, he brings glory to himself. Well, it's clear that the crowds that were listening to the Lord Jesus did not really understand him. They did not understand the significance of who he was. Even his disciples did not fully understand They did not understand the gift that he offers. And in verse 35, Jesus says, The light is among you for a little while longer. In other words, I'm not going to be among you that much longer. So there's, there's an urgency to this message. And that urgency is this, respond while you have the light with you. So Jesus is saying to the Jews, give up your preconceived notions about who you think the Messiah is supposed to be for you. And listen to me and believe in me and all your questions will be answered. And respond because you have the light with you only a little while longer. And so the meaning is clear. That light shines among you and it carries with you an opportunity for response. But at the same time, it is a warning to all those who resist the call of Jesus Christ. And that message is the same today. Whenever we hear the proclamation of the word and whenever we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the urgency is the same. Listen to the Lord Jesus Christ. Respond to the light that you hear that's revealed to you. Most of us have listened to the gospel many, many times. But the message is there, is given every time again for us to respond. And the gospel records show that there are many people who heard the gospel. Some of them were almost persuaded by the light. Think of King Herod Agrippa. He said to Paul in Acts 26, you almost persuade me. But there's no evidence that he believed. And what about Judas? He lived very close to the light, as close as the other disciples, but he died without the light. And so the call is urgent. Do not put off your submission to the light of the world. Young people, too, don't put off your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't postpone your opportunity to live in the light. Scripture says, while you walk, or walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become children of light. We all know it's true that in the dark we easily stumble around and stub our toes and fall. Well, what's true is physically is also true spiritually. And so Jesus says, do not delay. Respond to the light while it still shines, while you still have opportunity Commit your, your lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in him and you will be saved. And live in obedience to the Father and he will reward you. Jesus had to make many difficult choices in his life. 
He chose to be baptized, to be one with his people. And in the beginning of his public ministry, he was tempted in the wilderness. He chose to go the way of the cross, and God approved. He rejected the opportunity to receive fame, and he chose the cross and the grave. And God publicly approved And in this way, he obeyed the Lord, and the Lord honored him for his obedience. Oh, brothers and sisters, let us also follow him. Let us pattern our lives after Christ's obedience. Let us put God and his glory first. Jesus did this because he believed that if he would sacrifice his own desires and put God first, then God would reward him richly. And he was not disappointed. And this is true for us today as well. If you believe in the light and live in the light, the Lord will honor you and bless you. In Isaiah chapter 55, we read the following words. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Brothers and sisters, why why would we not come to the Lord Jesus Christ? He says, come to me, all you are heavy laden and burdened. Bring your burdens to me, your sins, your sorrow, your grief, your troubles. Jesus is the Savior who stands with open arms. Like the father in the parable of the prodigal son, He welcomes sinners because he wants to take care of it. Come to your Savior. Do it while there is still light. Amen.